Welcome. This is the Word to Wisdom with John Strasser, a teaching ministry that will build you up in the love of God's Word. And now, here's John. Hey, this is John Strasser, and welcome to the program today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are glad to have you. This is a special program today, and I guess I say that all the time, don't I? But it is special because we're going to be talking about prayer. And I don't know what we're going to title this particular episode, and we may have a couple of episodes on this, but I want to start out by saying that we could rethink some of our ideas about prayer. When somebody talks about prayer, they usually just think in terms of going to God and asking him for something and then kind of stepping back and waiting for him to answer it or to give it to you. And we approach prayer that way a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to God and asking him for something or to do something for you or to give you wisdom or any such thing like that. But there is another side to prayer, and I, I talk about it a lot. Other ministries do as well. I'm certainly not alone in this thinking. But I want to talk about the power of our words as well. The Lord has designed us very much like himself. He made us in his image. The Bible says that. And part of being made in God's image is really that we are creative. And we are not like God completely and fully, obviously. But he wants us, and we have examples of this in the Bible, he wants us to understand that the words that you speak, whether they're positive or negative, are important. I want to start with another verse in Proverbs. And it's a very powerful verse, and it's one that takes a little time to comprehend. As simple as this sounds, it takes a while to really take it in. And the verse says this. This is Proverbs 18, verse 21. It's a single verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. That's a very powerful statement. Now, I just read that out of the King James. I want to read it out of the Amplified. It's similar, but it adds a little clarity. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those words are exactly the same. But then it goes on to say, And they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or for life. What this verse is saying is, is that there is power in our words, the way we use them in our lives. We have spoken a lot about the sower and the seeds. And we learned in those lessons that the sower was sowing seeds, which were the words of God. So when we would sow or plant God's word, they would grow. And like in real life, if you sow apple seeds, you're going to get apples. And if you sow corn, you're going to get corn. The same is true in your prayer life and in your words that you choose. If you sow doubt, you speak about doubt and pray in doubt and use words about doubt. Lord, I'm afraid. And Lord, I doubt this is going to happen. And Lord, I can't see an answer here. If that's your way of being, you're pretty much going to get a crop of very much what you're speaking. A lot of doubt, a lot of lack, and a lot of you can't see what the answer is. And, and the Bible is full of lessons like this about our words. In fact, let me read another one. Jesus is speaking here. And this is in Matthew 12 and 37. He's saying, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words 
you will be condemned. This is really beginning to paint this picture that our words are important. They're very, very important. In fact, let me give you another verse where Jesus is speaking. This is in Mark 11, verse 23. This is a little bit longer in detail, but he's still saying the same thing. Jesus is speaking here and saying, For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, in quotes, be removed and cast into the sea, unquote, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that the thing that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Let me read that again, because Jesus is saying if, that if you say these words to this mountain, that the words you say will come to pass. This is hard to comprehend in a way, because Jesus is saying, I say to you that if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that the things you say will be done, it shall be done for you. And I like the fact that it ends by saying, it shall be done for you, or it will be done for them. That's God doing the work. It's God that does the work. So why, why all this about the words? The Lord is showing us that we play a role in all of this. We have some responsibilities placed on our shoulders. And this is the part that Christians don't like when we teach this. They want to just be able to go to God and say, Lord, I asked you for help. I asked you for a healing. I asked you for a new job. Nothing happened, so it just must have been his will. It's out of my hands. But we do play a role, at least in part. And what he's asked us to do is to speak his word. I mean, look at what we just read in Mark 11. Jesus is telling these disciples that whoever says to this mountain, be removed. And you can see that mountain as a sickness in your life or a problem that you're having. A mountain that's standing in front of you. And many Christians are passive and they just, they just say, well, there's a mountain in front of me. God, move it. And Jesus is saying here, you tell it to move. I'll do the work, but you tell it to move. I've heard one say, and I love this saying, don't go to God and tell him about your mountain, but go to your mountain and tell it about God. It's a wonderful way of putting this because when we speak like this, like Jesus is saying to this mountain, we're in full understanding that we're not the ones that are going to move it. We're saying mountain or sickness or poverty or whatever the problem is with one of your children or the workplace or whatever it is. When you're praying about that thing, you're literally speaking at it and saying, my God will provide. That's what you're understanding when you're saying, be removed. And it's unusual for us to think this way. Now, James, let's go to James and let's, let's look at this a little bit. I know this is hard to understand. James writes in, in the fifth chapter, the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much or much comes of the prayer of a righteous man. And he goes on to give an example. He was talking about Elijah. Listen to this. Again, this is in the fifth chapter of James, starting at verse 16. So he says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly 
that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth the space of three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth fruit. I'm reading in the King James, that's why it sounds like Old English. Basically, he's saying, Elijah was just like us. And yet he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. Who does that? So I went to look at that prayer. I went in the Old Testament to find Elijah's prayer. And I think you're going to be very surprised at what that prayer sounds like. Because if you haven't read it, most people would say, he stood before God and put his hands up and said, Lord, cause the rain to stop. But that is not how he prayed. Elijah understood the power of his words, and so did almost every Old Testament patriarch. In fact, before I read Elijah's prayer, if you look at every, like Abraham and Jacob and the others, how they would leave a blessing over their children, that blessing, that word was considered very powerful and binding. They understood their words. In modern culture today, we talk so much and we say so many things that our words are very watered down. That's just the way of life today. People make promises that they don't even keep. But back in these days, when somebody said something, it was binding. And when God says something, it's binding. That's his way. If he makes a promise, it's binding. So it's like what Jesus said, if you speak to your mountain, whatever that mountain is, and tell it to be removed, and believe in your heart that the things that you're saying will be, then it will be done for you. You'll see that answer. And I want you to bear in mind, I'm not talking about frivolous things here. I'm talking about necessities, things about your family, things about your church, things about your nation that are important, that need to be done. I'm not saying you can't pray for good things. That's not my point. But it's also not my point to say you're just going to speak something into existence just because you want it. That's not what I'm referring to here. But here we have Elijah, and he's going to pray about the rain. And listen to his prayer. It's not what most people would think. So this is 1 Kings 17, right in the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, now listen to his prayer, because this is right here. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. That was his prayer. And this is why I said I want to rethink our idea of prayer. I don't want to take away from how you pray. I want to add to it. It's like another tool in your toolbox. Many of us would simply call this a declaration. But James referred to Elijah's declaration as a prayer. And why would that be? Because Elijah made a declaration. But it was a prayer because at the end of the day, Elijah understood He didn't have the power to make it happen. He only had the right given to him by God to speak it. God would make it happen. And he did. It did not rain for the space of three and a half years. So let me give you another example that is similar but has some differences in it. I want to talk about Moses, actually. 
when he was at the Red Sea. This is really interesting. And they were at the moment when Pharaoh and his army were coming after them. Here they're standing in front of the Red Sea with nowhere to go, not knowing what's going to happen. Moses is there. The people of Israel are there. And they know that Pharaoh's army is on the way to destroy them. So let me read Exodus 14 and verse 13, uh, I think on through verse 17. So Moses, again, he's there with the people and he says to them, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now that's interesting. So Moses has already made a declaration to the people of God that God is going to fight for them, for them to simply watch it happen. And Moses fully understands that it's God that's going to bring the salvation, even though they are trapped. There's nowhere for them to go. This is what we call the Red Sea moment. And you may be in a Red Sea moment where you feel that there is nowhere to go and there's nothing but a gigantic ocean in front of you that you can't walk over. But listen to this. Moses must have at some point, it's not written in the scripture, but I can only assume because then it says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, Moses, he's speaking of himself. God is saying, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. So they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. In other words, they were going to follow through. As you know, the story, the sea closes right back up on them. It's amazing to me that somewhere in there, after Moses in the first verse says, the Lord shall fight for you while you keep silent. Moses must have turned to God and said something in prayer like, Lord, what's next? You know, what do we do now? But what we have in scripture is that the Lord is looking at Moses and saying, why are you crying out to me? That was a fascinating thing for God to say. You would think God would want us crying out to him. Now, Lord, do something for us. We're at this moment. We're trapped. God already knew they were trapped. But look at what God tells Moses to do. First, again, he says, why are you crying out to me, Moses? What are you doing? It, it was almost like God was sarcastic. He said, simply tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You tell them. Moses had to play a role in this Red Sea moment, and he had to speak to the people. It shows the power of the word of God in our lives, and God wants us to use it. It's right here in black and white. And then God goes on to say, and as for you, Moses, you stretch out your hand and your staff and stretch it over the sea and divide it. Now, Moses knows he can't divide the sea, but he obeyed God and did and moved as he was told. And God divided the sea. But Moses had to do something. 
God wanted Moses to put his hand and his staff over the sea. Most of us would have trouble with this. <laughs> Because we always look at prayer as, Lord, I'm here in your presence. Would you please divide the sea for me? And the Lord is saying, I want you to play a role in that. I want you to speak to that mountain. I want you to speak to that sea. I'm here, yes. I will do the work, yes. But speak in faith. This is a type of prayer that's a declaration prayer. A declaration that we make in the presence of God that he honors and sets in motion the move of God. And after God told Moses to stretch out his hand and, and divide the sea, he goes and, and says further to Moses, as for me, behold, I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. That's what God said he was going to do. And in doing so, he sent them in after the Israelites right in the middle of that open sea and let the water fall in on them and drowned it every single one of them which is what Moses said in the beginning in a declaration, the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. All of these things that I'm showing you are examples of how we play a role in the move of God. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he told them to preach the gospel and he also said to heal the sick and to raise the dead. And there was a case where Peter and John were walking into the temple in Jerusalem. And there was a man outside. He had been there for years, his whole life, really. He was crippled. And he was begging and he saw John and Peter and was asking for money. But Peter said to him, we don't have any silver and gold with us here today. But what we do have we will give to you. And Peter spoke. He spoke to this situation and said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He spoke it. He declared it. It's another example. And Peter understood this. John understood this because they saw Jesus do it all the time. They were with him for three years, healing people. And Jesus would say things like that. Be healed. Be made whole. Jesus didn't plead with his Father in heaven to heal somebody when he healed them. He spoke it. Now, bear in mind, I understand this is kind of hard to comprehend completely. But at the very least, take into consideration that the Bible is filled with examples of this very same thing that I'm speaking about. And if I go back to the first verse in Proverbs that I spoke of, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it, or they who indulge in it, will eat of the fruit of it, be it towards life or be it towards death. In other words, you're going to have the fruit that you speak. If you're sowing anger and discord in your home, you're going to get a lot of anger and discord in your home. If you speak anger and discord in your prayers, you're not going to get what you're looking for. You're going to get more anger and discord. And it won't be at the hand of God either. It'll be at your own doing. But if you were to take a scripture, there's a beautiful scripture in Isaiah 54 that says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. God was speaking. In fact, just prior to that, the Lord was saying, They will surely gather together against you. And whoever they are, I didn't send them. That's what God was saying. But he's also then further said, But no weapon that's formed against you, people of God, 
will prosper. It won't prosper. And I've prayed that when something comes into our lives that is not of God and not from God, then I use that verse and I pray it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Psalm 91 is filled with with verses and truths that no plague will come near your dwelling and and no harm will come to you. And, And we have to understand that these words in the Bible are ours to use in prayer. And while we may not do it perfectly and while things will still happen, this way of praying, declaring something, declaring God's truth is very, very important. And in all of what I'm trying to say here, if I could just narrow it down into the simplest thing, is that we do play a role. There's too many examples in Scripture. There's too many things that Jesus said. There's too many things that Jesus did as an example for us. And his last commission to us, he said, you go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and preach this gospel. Is he with us to do it? Of course he is. We have to understand that by default. This is not us alone doing this. This is God working in us that which is good and blessing others by the word of his kingdom. And his gospel is a healing gospel. It is to save the life of somebody from sin, addictions and problems. And so again, I'm not speaking in terms of just some of the desires and things, good things even that you may want in this life. I'm going to push that aside for now. That's between you and God. Do you want a new car or a new home or this or that? Pray to God about that. I'm not saying any of that is wrong, but it is not really what I'm referring to here. I'm referring to the issues of life that will keep people healthy and well and prospering in the Lord, able to give, able to be a blessing able to go out and work and work their farms or work their jobs or go into the ministry and be a blessing to others and and more. And anything in the word of God that is a promise to you, a direct promise to you, that's yours for the taking, whatever it is. And there are many promises in God's word. But we have to learn to go beyond just the Lord, please do this for me prayer. It's not enough. Sometimes we have to be taking what God has given us, this life, and not be so passive. And this takes work, and this takes practice, and this takes some prayer and and time. This doesn't happen overnight. But I feel that this is very, very important. In fact, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Maybe we'll do a second episode on this. It's difficult to teach because I already know the mindset of so many people who are saying, no, this just couldn't be. But I've given you enough verses here. We have Moses, we have Elijah, we have the example of Jesus that we gave you here. They're all speaking and playing a role in what God's will was. So we would stand in front of our mountain and we will speak to it. A mountain might be a persistent sickness or poverty or some terrible problem or a sin or something that's blocking your peace or your joy. You have the right to peace and joy because of what Jesus did on the cross. He paid a heavy price for you to have abundant life like that and to have a joy in you and a peace. And if something is coming into your life and disturbing that, you have the right to say, no, mountain, 
Whatever you are, get out of here in the name of Jesus. Leave. I believe that in Jesus' name, and I have the right to do so, and I do it because of what Jesus did for me. And he is here in me, and he will do the work. This is really important. So I'm going to leave it there for now. And again, we might do episode two. I'm not sure. There's some other things on my heart as well. Please take this to heart. Look at these verses and consider, if nothing else, please just consider adding this declaration type of prayer to your prayer life. I'm not saying to throw out your prayer life as it is. No, keep that. You know, it's good to say, Lord, help me. There's nothing wrong with that prayer at all. And as you grow, it will it will become more clear to you. It's something that we have to look at and practice. So please at least consider what we've said here today and, and see how you feel about it. Pray about it, okay? So thank you for joining us here today. I hope this has been a blessing. We love you and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.